Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Giants fans, and welcome to a new edition of the Valentine's Views podcast here on Big Blue View Radio, part of the SB Nation family of podcasts. I'm your host, Ed Valentine of Big Blue View. Today's show will feature an interview with John Schmelk of Giants.com and of BBKL Live. I don't know if you folks listen to that uh, show on Giants.com, but uh, that is another place to get uh, your fill of Giants talk throughout the the summer months. Of course, uh, we here at Big Blue View hope to keep you right here, both on our podcasts and and the website as well, um, as we continue to give you coverage, getting you ready for the 2019 Giants season. Uh, today, uh, with John Schmelk of Giants.com, we're going to review what we saw from the Giants during the spring, during OTAs, um, you know, as the Giants began their preparations for the 2019 season. So let's... Uh, Let's get to that interview right now. So the next thing you're going to hear is a piece that I recorded with John Schmelk of Giants.com. All right, Giants fans, I'm joined now by John Schmelk of Giants.com here to uh, to break down a little bit of what we saw from, from the Giants during spring workouts. John, thank you very, very much for, for spending some time with me. Hey, always happy to. What's going on? Oh, not much. Just uh, in in summer mode a little bit here, but uh, you know, but we still ha- we still have to put in a little bit of work, you know. Absolutely. So so as we record this, the Giants just finished their spring program, you know, a few days ago. Um, generic question for you: After watching, you know, all of the the OTAs and the mini camp. And, and by the way, I'm jealous because you get a better view than I am, and and and, and you get that view every day. So, <laughs> but uh, but after watching all of that, do you feel better about this team or or worse about the prospects for this team? You know, than you did maybe going in. That's a good question. Um, I think I feel the same about the team offensively as I did before spring started. Everyone kind of played as I thought they would. 
Uh, and, you know, Daniel Jones' performance doesn't have anything to do with what's going to happen this season, so we could talk about that in terms of the future, obviously. So I think offensively, you know, they, they, they look like they look. You didn't have both starting tackles out there, and you can't really judge offensive line play without pads, right? So, you know, that's really the question for me. I don't have any doubts about Saquon Barkley or Sterling Shepard or Golden Tate. You know, I was disappointed Evan Ingram was banged up and had to miss practices, which, you know, he's the guy that they, that they need healthy now, especially with, with Beckham not on the roster. Uh, and, again, defensively, I think the big question is the pass rush, which, again, with no pads, you don't really know what's going on. I guess the thing that was most encouraging for me was the play of DeAndre Baker, a guy that, you know, was a first-round pick, and he already took the starting job away from Sam Beal with the way he played uh, over the course of the spring. Early on, I thought maybe he was a little handsy down the field. I think he got over that. He improved on that aspect of his game as camp went along. And this is all the while with him not being able to play press coverage and having to play off because of the contact rules, which is really his strength. So uh, I'm bullish on what I saw from DeAndre Baker, uh, which has to make you feel better because the two big questions on the team to me, it has to be the pass rush and then how is the young secondary going to play? And that to me, as much as anything, will decide how this season goes. And, you know, all of that, John, leads me to the thing that, that I've been thinking about, really. I mean, and we'll talk about Daniel Jones, and we'll talk about Eli and, and all of that a little bit later. But for me, I have many, many more questions about whether it's pass rush, whether it's coverage in the secondary. I have many more questions about this team defensively. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that whether it's new, whether it's young guys, whether it's old guys, this is basically a defense that's starting from scratch. I just have more questions about that side of the ball. Yeah, I think anybody that doesn't is either not looking at things clearly or is fooling themselves or simply just obsessed with the fact that the team traded Odell Beckham Jr. and they just can't get over it. Because I think you have to feel somewhat comfortable about what the Giants have at the skill positions. Guys have proven what they can do. The offensive line is leagues better. Is it a top five unit in the league? No, but is it a top half unit? I'd be disappointed if it wasn't. Nate Solder played a lot better second half of last year. Kevin Zeitler is a legitimate Pro Bowl caliber, all-pro caliber guard. You have to be happy with whoever wins the center battle. They'll be good enough. Mike Remmers isn't a world beater, but he's certainly an improvement at right tackle over what they had, especially in the run game. So the offense is going to be fine. Will they be a top five offense? No, I don't, maybe not, but I think they could certainly be, you know, top 10, top 12, something like that. I don't think that's out of the question, depending on how the quarterback plays. But look, what the heck do they have on defense? I mean, who are you sure about? Are you sure about B.J. Hill? You feel good about him. You're not sure about him. You know, you, Dalvin Thomas is a good player. Are you sure beyond that? I mean, the only guy that you're sure or pretty sure is going to play at a high level is Janoris Jenkins. You know, Jabril Peppers is, is young. He played better last year. Are you sure he's going to be really good? I mean, how can you be? He hasn't been really good yet. I think he will be, and I saw flashes last year, but do I know for sure? No. And anyone that does is, is lying because in, in sports, every sport, guys do not progress and get better on a straight line. It's really hard to tell how one player is going to play one year to the next. No, I, I agree with that. And, and for me, it's, I, I liked what the Giants did defensively throughout the offseason. 
you know, they brought in a couple of veteran guys. You know, Antoine Bethea is a short-term answer at safety, yep. but, but he's big for this group because it's so young in the secondary. But I, I loved what they did, but it's like, all right, long-term they added a whole lot of talent. But the question for me is, you know, is will all of that talent play the way they think, and how quickly does it come together? Yeah, they did the best they could given the circumstance that Dave Gettleman was in and the decisions he made in terms of tearing the defense down. And, you know, it's not going to be built in a day. The same way the offensive line wasn't going to be built in one offseason last year, the defense isn't going to be rebuilt in one offseason either. Think about this. Over the past few years, they decided to let go of their best run stopper, their best pass rusher, Snacks Harrison and Olivier Vernon, a uh, starting cornerback in Eli Apple, a uh, starting caliber in Pro Bowl safety in Landon Collins, I mean, that's a lot of guys. And then throwing Jason Pierre-Paul from two off-seasons ago, and you're looking at a completely revamped defense. And they did what they had to do in the draft. You know, there weren't a ton of pass rushers available to them uh, when they selected pass 17. So they drafted one. But it was a draft that was good in the middle rounds in terms of the cornerback position. So what did they did? End of the first round, cornerback. Fourth round, cornerback. Fifth round, cornerback. And they got guys that they think can help now and in the future. And look, there's going to be growing pains and it's not going to be great right away because why young corners are never great right away. It's not the way the position works in the NFL. It's a very tough position to play and the transition to make. And you're right. I think Antoine Bethea is somebody that is a sure thing in terms of understanding what he's going to give you um, at his level of play. You know, he's a veteran. He's been in the league a long time. So yeah, I mean, and the other thing we talk about too, the linebackers didn't really change all that much, but are we sure that this is a group that can cover in the middle of the field, which has been a problem over the years? So, look, I mean, it's a defense that is growing. They're going to grow together. There's going to be some trips and falls along the way, but there's certainly talent, and you hope they come together quickly because that's what the team's going to need. I know that, you know, what I have said to people is, look, you know, as much as you love the talent that they added in the secondary you're, you're absolutely right. You know, these guys, there will be growing pains, and the problem with growing pains in the secondary is growing pains in the secondary cost you six points. Yeah, they do, absolutely, 100%. <laughs> yep. Um, I wanted to ask you, you know, it's interesting because there is this sort of growing theory out there in the, in the analytics community, and I'm not a big analytics person, I'm not sure that you are, but there's this growing sort of theory out there that that pass coverage is more important than pass rush. And and just looking at the way that the Giants approached the offseason and, and, uh, you know, going so heavy on the corners and and all of that, where do you stand on that particular particular theory? I think both are important. Uh, Look, and I think – I am a believer in analytics. I think numbers can tell you a lot, but I also think the danger with analytics is not being able to understand and accept the fact that some things are impossible to quantify. So while data can help you, I don't think data can tell you everything. And yes, when, when Pro Football Focus does their study, you know, the grades for cornerbacks are going to impact a team a lot more than a grade for defensive linemen. Why? Uh, the grade for the cornerback is going to be very much related to what happens at the end of the play. The cornerback is always the end result of what occurs on a play. So, of course, there's going to be more of a correlation between that 
than a pressure when a, you know, a guy can get a pressure, but if a cornerback falls down, it's still going to be a touchdown, right? So I think that's important. I think it's impossible to quantify how a team might alter their offensive scheme and how they decide to play based on a team's pass rush before the game even begins. That's not going to be able to get quantified in grading. So I think I understand, and it makes sense to me logically, why the grading for PFF would more cor- would correlate more towards play results and better defensive play than pass rush. I, here's how I look at it, and I think I put this on, on – I, I put it this way on Big Blue Kickoff. Look, you need one of two things. You either need a really good pass rush or you need a really good secondary. If you have both, you're an elite defense. If you don't have either, you're finished. And quite frankly, if you're terrible at one or the other, you're probably not going to be very good either. So you need to be really good at one and at least average at the other. And I think why people come down on the secondary side of things, I know this is a long answer. I apologize. If you go back to the Super Bowl, right, two years ago between the Patriots and the Eagles, the Eagles had one of the top pass rushes in the league, right? But the Patriots were able to adjust their passing game where they ate that defense alive because the Eagles' secondary wasn't average. It was below average. Um, but if, let's say, you're playing a team that doesn't have a great pass rush, but they have locked down defensive backs, I think it's hard to scheme around lockdown defensive backs. Can a team cover forever? No. But I think there are ways to scheme around a great pass rush, but not ways to scheme around um, great corner. So I think both are important. I think you can win both ways. And I think even when they did their analytics and, and, and their results on it, I don't think the difference in the results were so big that it really proves that big of a point when you're trying to build your football team. I, you know, I, I agree with a lot of that. I think that you, you need both in, in some form because they work together. Like you said, you can't cover forever, but, you know, you, you also have to be able to cover long enough to give your, your, uh, your pass rushers a chance. One of the interesting sure. things, before we go to offense, John, I wanted yeah. to talk about one of the really interesting selections in the draft for me as we talk about the Giants and the pass rush and, and all of that, one of the really interesting selections for me was Dexter Lawrence instead of perhaps Montez Sweat at 17 as the, as the pure pass rush guy. And I think people are interested not only in the selection of Lawrence, but in the fact that the Giants aren't necessarily using him at the nose. Um, your thoughts on Lawrence, you know, what you've seen, and, and perhaps, you know, on the fact that the Giants aren't, you know, using him head up on the center. You know, based on Dave Gettleman's history, I was not surprised they took Dexter Lawrence. And, I, and I'm sure you weren't that surprised either. Right? Because these are the no, types of guys he likes to draft. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I know. But, and I agree with you. But from the outside looking in, you see Montez Sweat, double-digit sacks. Oh, he could have been a top-ten pick. You know, the, the X factor of him, with him was the medical. I mean, there's just no way to know – you know, how the team evaluated his medical condition and how that affected whether or not they were going to pick him. Um, I don't know this, but I, I, I think that there was a good chance that if Brian Burns was still there at 17, he might have been the pick instead of Lawrence. So uh, I don't – I get no one's told me that. I don't know that for sure, but I, that wouldn't surprise me if that was something that, that they were thinking about, given Burns' productivity as a pass rusher. If he was there at 17, he got picked right before the Giants picked at 17. So um, in terms of Dexter Lawrence himself, 
when you look back at his tape when he played for Clemson, he's a guy that played all over the formation. He was at three technique as much as he was at nose. And he's a guy that can move. And I think they really like his movement skills. And frankly, I think they might like his movement skills better than Dalvin Tomlinson. So if you like his movement skills better than Tomlinson, and frankly, I think he does have better movement skills than Dalvin, despite the fact he's, you know, 20, 30 pounds heavier than he is, that why wouldn't you want to move, put him at the three of the five technique rather than at that, at that nose in your base 3-4 to give him a better chance of pass rushing. Now, I do believe when they get to passing situations, I think he will be over the center. I think he's a guy that's going to rush and try to get pressure off the middle. You'll have B.J. Hill at the three, and then you'll have your outside pass rushers outside. But when you're in that base, if you think Lawrence can move better than Tomlinson, why not put him in a, in a spot that maybe gives him a little bit of a better shot at getting to the quarterback? Oh, that's that's a really good point, John. I think in the, you know I, I was actually watching some Dexter Lawrence just the other day, and 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 they did move him around more than people realize. But the the other thing I think that when people think defensive end, you know, Giants fans of of recent years are conditioned, I think, to think about the four three defensive ends, the Justin Tucks, the OCU Minoras. And in a 3-4, what they're asking these defensive ends to do isn't the same thing. Really, what you've got are three defensive tackles. You're 100% right, and I think you're right. I don't think a lot of fans are clear enough on that. When the Giants line up in a 3-4, well, the first thing that's different for older Giant fans is that this isn't a two-gap defense, where you're asking your defensive linemen to, you know, occupy two offensive linemen to allow your linebackers to float the football. That's what the Giants did in the 80s. That's your traditional 3-4 defense. That's not what James Betcher wants his guys to do. So even in the three-man line, he wants his guys penetrating in a one-gap style getting up the field. So that's the first thing that's different. To your point on the defensive ends, you're 100% right. In the Giants' 3-4 defense, for the fans that understand this, they play three positions, right? There's a zero technique, which is your nose. That's your defensive tackle, technical and nose tackle, right? Then right. your two quote-unquote defensive ends, one guy's playing the three technique, which is exactly what a 4-3 defensive tackle does. And then the right. other guy's playing either a four-shade or a five, which is still playing not on the outside shoulder of the offensive tackle. So these guys aren't being asked to get out there on the edge and win with speed. They're playing inside of the Giants' edge rusher. So you're 100% right. It is a completely different position and a completely different ask. Uh, you're right. If I was to like, create a roster template for what the Giants do for a 3-4 defense, I would have a nose tackle, and then I have defensive tackle one, and then I have defensive tackle two. And that's how I would equate the three positions. And that seems to be what the Giants have pretty much done here. I mean, because all three of these guys, Dalvin Tomlinson, you know, Lawrence, and B.J. Hill, all three of these guys, I think, collegiately were basically considered, you know, zero techs. Yeah, yeah, you know? and all three played them for sure. Uh, I mean, B.J. Hill played – B.J. Hill and, and Lawrence both played three at times in college, but Tomlinson was for sure – more of a zero, but yeah, they're guys that move from both spots. They went from zero to three, and that's where they played in college, and that's frankly where they're going to play here. Sure. All right. Hey, let's, uh, 
you know, we could we could probably talk about this defense forever because I do think it's, <laughs> it's the big question mark. Well, you know, well and real quick, and, and, and real quick before we go to offense, what's your take on the linebackers? Inside linebackers now, not the pass rushers outside, the Ogletrees, the Goodsons, the Tay Davises, the Connollys. Because I, I think that's something that, that, that not a lot of people talk about. You know, it's funny because I, 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 if I was to put it in one quick phrase, I would say not good enough. You know, and I think I think the problem that I have is Alex o- Alec Ogletree's interceptions that he had last year, to me, are a little bit misleading, because he's not that good in coverage. You know, we know that BJ. You know, he he made some plays last year. We know that BJ Goodson, to me, is more of a classic four-three. You know, Mike linebacker than he is a, a three-four guy that can you know that can cover. It, you know, and Tay Davis and Ryan Connolly and these guys, you know, if, if you you can't go by pro football focused numbers all the time. You just can't. And guys, as you said, they develop from one year to the next. But if you look at Tay Davis's pro football focused coverage numbers last year, he was a coverage linebacker who couldn't cover. <laughs> all right, he was a coverage linebacker who couldn't cover. So, as as you said, though, for me. You know, Gettleman says this all the time. Rome isn't built in a day, and Correct. you only have a certain number of picks, and you couldn't. And I, I remind people of this at Big Blue View all the time. No matter how much you have a salary cap league, you have a certain number of draft choices. You have to make decisions. You can't fix every problem in every off season. And I, th- for me, I, I still think those inside linebackers for the Giants are a problem. I think it's something that they is are certainly on the list of positions that they want to improve. But I and I think they'll use these guys that they have here. But I agree. I think it'll be a position that as they move ahead, they will target the upgrade. I'm with you on that. I you know I I think so. But it, you know it's it's one of those deals. I think the Giants for years and years have tried to. I what I think I've learned is that that's the position where you can mix and match and where you absolutely know that guys are probably going to play one down or two downs or get moved in and out based on situations. And I, I, I tend to think that's why we see the, the lower priority when it comes to using a high draft pick or, or spending big money in free agency because you think you can mix and match. Yeah, and frankly, and I think you have a better chance of finding a really good player to play three, four inside linebacker in the middle rounds of the first, in the middle of the first round, in the second round, than you do a corner or a pass rusher and things like that. You know, they just aren't valued as high. So uh, I'm with you, and, and I think that's how they're operate going forward. Yeah, I think so. So, but I, I think you know, I, I don't really want to spin forward to next year's draft and all of that. But I no, have no, some, no, 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 no. In the back of my mind, I have some ideas as to where I think the priorities are going to be. But we're just not going to go there because I, I tell people all the time, you know, don't go there before you see the current season unfold. So I, I'm right. not doing it. Um, so, hey, let's talk about offense. And you mentioned before we get to Eli Manning and Daniel Jones – you mentioned the guy that I think, in a lot of ways, holds the key to this whole offense 
in terms of you know how explosive it can be. And for me, that's Evan Ingram. And because of all the production that we've seen him have in some games when you know when Odell Beckham didn't play over the last couple of years, and maybe he's had a significant injury this spring, maybe he didn't, but. You know, I, I worry about him because he's so important, but he's he seems to have a history of not being on the field. Your concern is fair, um, and I agree with everything you just said. He's a guy that I think the Giants need to be a mismatch issue, and the NFL offenses work now based on whether or not you can create mismatches. Can you win one-on-one? Because eventually, teams will figure out a way to put, you know, eight men in the box to slow down Saquon. You know, they'll put two guys on, on a wide receiver. That, that's going to hurt you. And, and you're going to try to, to limit those players. The question is that do you have enough talented players on your team to prevent them from doing it? And if the Giants are want to stop teams from putting eight and nine men in the box to stop Saquon Barkley, yes, throwing Shepard and Golden Tate, they can win one-on-one. But their guys are going to win one-on-one. I'm not sure they're going to do it for a huge 40, 50-yard gains given their, you know, prior skill set. They can do it, but these aren't, you know, big six-foot-three burners that are running 4-3 and, and are going to kill you on deep balls, right? So right. I think they need Evan Ingram to be that guy, to win down the seam, to get on that linebacker when, when on, on a play-action pass and then catch it 20 yards down the field and run another 15 or 20 yards. And him and – I think even more so than, than Shepard and Tate, who I think are going to be productive players this year, Barkley on linebackers and Ingram on safeties and linebackers, those to me are the two big mismatches the Giants can try to use in their offense. The Patriots have done this for years, Ed. It wasn't their wide receivers that would kill people one-on-one. Yeah, Edelman can do it in the slot. And frankly, I think Tate and Shepard can do it in the slot too. But what would they try to do when, when, when the chips are down? They try to motion out James White or Deion Lewis, get him one-on-one on the linebacker. They try to move Gronk around. They get him one-on-one with the linebacker, and they go to work. That's what the Giants need Evan Ingram to do. I'm not calling him Rob Gronkowski, but a guy ran a 4-4 or sub-4-4, I think, even at some point during the course of his college career, like a 4-4-2, something like that. So that's a guy that's a mismatch, and they need him on the field, and they need him productive. If he's not, they could have some problems. You know, you mentioned Barkley, and obviously, you know, Barkley is just a, a wonderful, wonderful player. And, and, and he caught, I think it was 91 passes last year. And I, I, That's broke correct. This, I broke this down a while ago. He caught 58 passes in the first yep. eight games and 33 over the last eight games. Mm-hmm. And in my view... I thought the 33 passes he caught in the last eight games were more effective simply because they were more planned. There were more downfield shots. There weren't, you know, 15 check down catches in a game. Uh, you know, would you agree with me that, that you kind of thought that as the season went on, they found actually better ways to use him in the passing game? And it's funny you said that. About three weeks ago or so, we had a debate on how many receptions Saquon Barkley would have this upcoming year. And I went through those same splits you did, and I brought it up on Big Blue Kickoff Live, and I said, look, guys, he had 58 catches in the first half of the year. I don't think they wanted him to have 58 catches in the first half of the year. Eli Manning was going to get murdered, so he just dumped the ball off. And a lot of those, by the way, were on third and super longs, and the passes were inconsequential. There was one game where I think he averaged something like three or four yards per reception or some ridiculous number like that. So I agree with you. 
even though he only had 33 catches in the final eight games, I think those 33 catches were more effective, and it was a more right. effective way to use him. I agree with everything you said 100%. It's it's quality. It's not quantity. Get yep. him out there in a mismatch. You know, get the ball to him on get the ball to him in space on second and five because I think there was there was one play last year that he might have made against the Bears. I might have been where it was third and and twenty five or something, and he took a little dump End of the off first and half. Got, yep, yep. And, and got the first mm-hmm. down, but. But that's one effective dump off out of about forty. <laughs> you yeah. know? And Ed, how about this? You you mentioned second and five. How about on a first and ten when a team's jamming the box and they're in their base defense, you motion him out of the backfield? That's a one on one with the linebacker right there. Well, I did see in one of the OTAs that we that we saw, I did see Saquon lined up in the slot once or twice, which is something I don't think we saw last year and 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 mm-hmm. it's, I think it's part of the development of the offense and guys getting to know each other. And I'm I'm looking forward to to that because I honestly think you know people talk about running back value and and this and that and the other thing. And and for me, the value of Saquon to the Giants is that he's more than a running back. Yeah, you know I agree. Think? And I think one yeah, I'm with you. And I think the one way you mentioned getting him in the slot, Ed, is that you put him in the slot and you get him on one of those option routes in the middle of the field against the middle linebacker where he can either go in or out depending on the leverage of the coverage, I -hmm. saw that a few times in camp. And whether it was Tay Davis or B.J. Goodson or Alec Ogletree, they did not have a chance in hell in staying with him on those routes. Well, you know, I I remember watching him, and, you know, the Giants would line him up wide or motion him out wide a little bit, even in camp a year ago. And, mm-hmm. and I remember watching him. He got lined up once in, early in camp against Jack Rabbit. And he ran a slant against Jack Rabbit. It, and I, I, I looked at, I, I looked, I think I was standing next to Patty Trina and I looked over and I said, Patty, I said, Jack Rabbit had zero chance. None. <laughs> None. He had no chance. So, God, I think you you talk about loading the box and all that. I think that's the way to to get plays from him is get him out in space in the passing game. I'm with you, hundred percent. Hey, we we have to talk about the quarterbacks before I let you go. I, yeah, I know fine. You, you, I know you've got to run here in a couple minutes. Um, you and I talked about this a little bit, you know, in the spring, but Daniel Jones. I think obviously we can't tell what kind of quarterback he's going to be until we see him in game action and and Correct. you know if, if if the season goes the way the Giants would like it to go we won't see him at all. But for me he answered a lot of questions this spring. I don't know for how about for you? Yeah, I agree with you. Uh look, Eli Manning needs to do two things to keep Daniel Jones off the field. A he has to play well and B they have to win games. If one of those two things don't happen, then we're going to see Daniel Jones in one way, shape, or form. Um, in terms of Jones, look, we, we had the conversation before, and I, I've said it a million times on, on, on Big Blue Kickoff. I was surprised, just like everybody else, when they picked him at six. I was. Um, 
I, I watched his tape. I thought it was good. I thought it was solid. I didn't see any huge red flags when I watched him at Duke saying, oh, boy, he can't do this, he can't do that, he can't do this, he can't do that. But it was a lot of at, high, at how high of a level can he do the things he's doing. And I think that's why, and I've said this before too, it was, he was a tough scout because the talent around him at Duke was so poor whether it was the wide receivers dropping passes, the offensive line not blocking anybody, I think it made it a little bit of a difficult scout. Then I showed up at, at Mobile for the Senior Bowl, and the practices that I watched, he stunk. He was, mm-hmm. he was, he was bad. The ball was all over the place. And then in the Senior Bowl game, even though he threw a touchdown, won the MVP, people forget three plays before that touchdown pass, he literally threw the ball right to a defender, but he dropped it, and it should have been an interception. So... I did, you know, and then he came here and in camp, and I'm I'm trying to stay level about this because, like you said, until he's in front of live defenses with guys trying to blitz him against unfamiliar foes, you don't know. But he, to me, checked every box he could have during spring workouts. His arm's good enough. Is it elite to the level of Patrick Mahomes? No, but he can make all the throws. He was accurate deep down the field, which I thought was one of the things I was really concerned about coming from Duke, but he was an accurate deep ball thrower. Um, he didn't look like he was overwhelmed. He, was, he had a couple practices here and there where the ball came out late, but I thought for the most part he was on time. He didn't look like he was swimming. He didn't look overwhelmed. And we've seen a lot of rookie quarterbacks flow through here over the last 10 years, right? From Ryan right. Nassib to Davis Webb to Kyle Oletta. This guy looks different, and that's the best way I can put it. I, I, I think that's, that's the way – to put it or the, the way that I see it as well. I, I look at him and he, he, I don't know what his ceiling is, but when I Me look either. at him, I'm, the more I watch him, the more I'm comfortable that when his time comes, I know that he can play quarterback in the NFL. It doesn't look too big for him. You watch him practice and I remember, shoot, even in Ryan Nassib's third year with the Giants, you'd You'd watch, you'd watch him play, and the ball was going all over the lot. You had no yeah. idea what was going on. When I watch Jones, he makes mistakes sometimes, and, and I think sure. the one thing you hit on was there are times when maybe the ball comes out a little bit late, like he's not 100% sure, and maybe that's learning the playbook. Maybe that's yeah. just learning mm-hmm. what he, you know, still processing information. But it looks like NFL quarterback play you know, when, when he's out there. And, and I think that's, that's the most encouraging thing is that it looks like NFL-caliber quarterback play. Yeah, and, like, I'm really confident he's going to be competent. And, and coming out, uh, my, my, my comp for him was Andy Dalton, and that's kind of where, where I put him coming out. That's why my comp was. I mm-hmm. feel – now, here's the, here's the good thing. Here's the good news now, though. I think that's his floor. I thought that was his likely outcome before. Mm-hmm. Based on what I've seen in the spring – I feel maybe floor is a little bit strong, but I feel very confident that he can be that level of quarterback. And let's mm-hmm. see when the bullets start flying, how much better he can be than that. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, anyway, John, um, I think on that note, um, I'm going to let you go. I know you've got something else going on here shortly, so I'm going to let you go and get ready for that. Appreciate. I can your, squeeze in uh, one more if you want, Ed. You want to squeeze in one more? You got one more question hey, for me? Um, well, let, let's talk about Eli then for a minute. Let's talk sure, about. Let's do it. Uh, let's just talk about what you 
what you expect, I mean, it, from Eli, I mean, I, I think if you read Big Blue View, you know that I've supported Eli for a long time. I think, I think the man still has good football left in him. How about you? Yeah, I think with the pieces around him, Eli Manning should be successful this year. Now, is he going to put up, you know, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers numbers? No, he's not, and that's fine. But given he will be able to operate this offense to the point where you're successful and the Giants can score enough points to win games. If this team does not average more than 24 or 25 points per game this year, that's a problem. And I think Eli Manning can get them there. And if you have a quarterback that can get you to score, you know, more than – 24, 25 points a game, that's a quarterback, in my mind, you can win with in the NFL. And it's really that simple. Yeah, pretty much that's where it is, John. And, and you know, we'll, we'll, see how, we'll see how it all unfolds. It's, uh, it's interesting to, to watch this team develop in year, what's really year two of the Gettleman-Shermer uh, era. I think, uh, you know, I, I think we've, we begin to see you know, we begin to see where this team's going, and, and I think this is a big year. How about you? Oh, it's a huge year. I mean, but fans have to be patient, too. Like, I have fans tweeting me after last year, you got to fire this guy, fire that guy. Guys, yeah, what you've seen the last three years is, is considered chaos to the Giants organization. They don't like making fast changes like this. You know, they just don't like it. And I, they, want these, they want to give these guys a chance to build what they're building. And next offseason is a huge one, Ed. You know, all the cap space they're going to have based on all the moves they've made. They'll be able to add some people then. But at the same time, I don't think Gettleman's going to go throw, you know, gigantic, huge contracts at veterans. I, I just don't think it's very likely. I don't think that's the way he's going to operate. I think he'll target a couple specific needs and go get players at those spots. But I don't think you're going to see a spending spree like we saw, you know, three years ago either in uh, Jerry Reese's final offseason or next to last offseason uh, as GM. So they're going to be patient, give these guys a chance to build the way they want to build, put the team on the, f- on the field and play in a way that they want them to play, and they'll see if they can be successful. And let's be honest, and everyone knows this, the success of this group is now going to rely on how well Daniel Jones plays when he gets in there, and that's – going to, in the end, probably dictate the, their longevity. And Dave Gettleman knows that. He said it a million times at his postseason press conferences. The most important thing a GM can do is finding that next quarterback. And that's the guy he's going to be attached to. And same for Pat Schirmer. Exactly. And, and we won't know where all this is going to lead until we know what kind of player Daniel Jones is. So, right. And, and, and we're not going to know until he gets to the game. So we're going to have right. to wait a while, I think. All right. Hey, with, I think uh, now I will let you go, John. I know you've yeah. got something here in a couple minutes, and I appreciate your time. Yep. And uh, maybe we'll do this again right around, uh, right around training camp. All right, thank you very much. Any, anytime, Ed. Always happy to help. Be good. All right, bye-bye. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school 
that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Okay, our thanks to John Schmelk for joining us, for spending some time, dropping some some knowledge on us, uh, offering his insights into into what we saw from the Giants this spring. I kind of kidded John a little bit, and you know about uh, the viewpoint that that he gets. The the folks that work for Giants.com get to be out on the field. They get uh, you know they get a clo- much closer view uh, to the action than those of us in the media get. They also get to uh, to be there every day when the Giants are on the field, so they see much more you know, than what we are able to see, you know, as members of the media who get access maybe once a week or so, you know, which we, we treasure that access. It, it helps us, you know, form some opinions and, and, and be able to, uh, to tell you guys who's doing what, you know, but, but folks like John have, uh, you know, have a leg up when they're able to be out on the field with an unobstructed view and, and be there every day. We always appreciate John, you know, spending some time with us and uh, and dropping some, some knowledge on us. All right, Giants fans, with that said, that is our show for today. Please remember to subscribe to Big Blue View Radio on all of your favorite podcast platforms. Check us out on Instagram. Check us out on Facebook. Join the community at Big Blue View if you haven't done so already so that you can talk to like-minded Giants fans. As always, we ask only that you try to respect everyone else's opinion. Try to realize that everyone is, you know, on the site, you know, for the most part is a Giants fan and wants the same thing, wants the Giants to be successful, may want, you know, different things or believe different uh, different paths to get there but everyone wants the same thing they want the Giants to succeed so try to keep that in mind try to remember to argue with the post and not the poster as we say uh, at Big Blue View so all right with that said Giants fans thank you very much for listening and we will talk to you again soon bye-bye